If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts. And while I know the theme has been Palm Sunday, I think we'll still be borrowing from that within the context about how Christ is and His kingdom is triumphant no matter what. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12. And it sounds like this. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him, and he put him in prison, delivering him four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the doors were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did. And then the angel said, Don't forget your cloak. Please put it around you. I really would appreciate that. That's in the Greek, okay, just so you know. And follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know what in the world was going on or that the angel was real, but thought that he was having a vision. And then he had passed the first guard, second guard, and he came to the iron gate that leads to the city, and it opened up by itself, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel departed from him, and Peter came to himself and said, now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel to rescue me from the hands of Herod, and all that the Jewish people were expecting, which was his head on a platter." And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also, was also called Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. When he knocked on the door to the gate, a little serving girl named Rhoda came and answered. And when she recognized Peter's voice, Rhoda failed to do her job. And in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter was standing in front of the, the gate. And he said, and she, and, and they said to her, you are out of your mind, Rhoda. And she kept on insisting, no, I am not. And they kept on saying, then it must be his angel. And Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them to silence and be silent, he described to them how the Lord let him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away and executed. And he went on from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now there was a lot of angry people in Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to Herod, uh, having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They were asking for peace because the country was fed by the king's um, country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord, just like he struck Peter, struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. 
I just want to stop here. How many go, this is going to change my life? You know, none of Scripture is on accident. All Scripture is profitable. What possible profit is there for us today in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for here? Verse 24, in the word of the Lord, continue to grow and be multiplied. There's the application. And Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Believe it or not, there is a tremendous amount of application and encouragement in this passage once we get done studying it out. Let's ask God's blessing before we start, though. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. I am a sinner, Lord, saved only by grace. I am not up here because I am worthy of it. The only righteousness I have is you and me. Father, I pray that I would get lost behind this text. That I would hide behind my master. I ask for one thing this morning that you promised. You promised, God, that you would give if we asked. So we ask today, Lord, for Christ. Give us Christ from his word, his salvation, his sanctification. May he not be merely our Savior, as grand as that is, but the Lord of our life, now and forever. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would be our primary teacher this morning, not me. Father, these people will always belong to you. Bless them. Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious name. And if you're happy to see the sun this morning, say amen. amen. Woohoo! Soak it up, folks. Have you ever asked yourself the question, What possible benefit does this passage offer in my life today? I don't know about you. When I go into the study of God's word during the week, the number one question is, you know, who, what, when, where, but why? Why is this here? I mean, look at it. Herod is eaten by worms. Peter is in jail. James is killed. Arguments between Tyre and Sidon and the king, Grippa the first. Angels are striking Peter. They're disappearing. And you can look at this and say, what in the world is this all about? And if all of scripture is beneficial, where in the world is the benefit from this little unique detail here? On the other side of the coin, at the very same time, why is it that oftentimes it seems that those who oppose God are in power and those who love and serve him have such little earthly power? This is the state of the church in Jerusalem at this time. And the truth of the matter is it can often feel like the state of the church today. I guess the question really is, why is it that if God is in complete control that our lives are such a mess? Why is it if God is sovereign over all things, why does it seem like those who oppose an all-powerful, omniscient God seem to have so much success and power over our lives? This is what the passage is ultimately 
about. Take a look at it here. It says, Herod the king. He really wasn't a king. He was loaned out that title, if you will, by the Romans. These five verses really set up the whole stage. We must know who Herod is in order to begin to unpack this. So if you're excited about a historical character background study at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, say amen. All right, I'm slowly changing you into godly nerds, all right? And that and nerds rule the what? The world. You better not believe that, all right? We must know who Herod is here in order to understand the ultimate message. This is Herod Agrippa I. That is who this Herod is here. He is the, the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great would have been the Herod that we see when Jesus was born and committed the atrocities of killing all male children under the age of two. That was Herod the Great. The one we're looking at here today is his grandson. His father is no longer alive because his grandfather, Herod the Great, killed his father. And so that's who Herod Agrippa is here. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. He was, the, by the way, the quintessential politician. When in Rome, he lived like Romans. When in Jewish territories, he lived like, does anyone have any guesses? He lived like the Jews because he is a quintessential politician, becoming who he is around Herod was a quasi-king because Rome allowed him this title when he was ruler over the Jewish territories of Judea and Samaria. Now here's where the history really begins to bite in. Herod Agrippa I was known as a very large, very large, big, those are synonyms, all right, playboy as he was growing up in Rome. Around 23 AD, all right, around 23 AD, when he was a young man, he ran up a significant amount of debt. How many here, before you got your head on your shoulders and your desires and pleasures were your God, maybe spent money in a way you shouldn't have? Anyone at all? Five of you, all right? five of you. Well, he was quite a playboy in Rome. And around 23 AD, he ran up quite a debt and his creditors were after him. So he fled to Judea, all right, to escape his creditors. Now, because of this bad relational and financial relationship with those in power at Rome during the time, he knew the best way to keep Rome happy was, it was to keep the Jews happy because Rome didn't want to spend their time and energy babysitting Israel at this time. So he knew if I kept the Jews happy, I can keep Rome at bay. So he did whatever he could to please the, his Jewish subjects. Hence the words, and you see it here, when he saw that this pleased the Jews. So we can see the politician in this. So how do you please the Jews as a whole during this time? Well, here's what you do. You make sure that the governing body that is responsible for the spiritual and legal state of Israel is pleased, which is, here it is, the Sanhedrin. All 70, 71 members of the Sanhedrin. Keep them happy and you're well on your way. Well, what does the Sanhedrin hate? That's the next question. And I'll give you that question. And Let me ask you if you have an answer. What does the established powers in Israel hate at this time? Anyone at all? The church. Christianity. 
All right? This new thing called the church and Christians. The best way to keep Jews happy during this time is to stay in the good graces of the Sanhedrin. So what does he do? He goes after one of the original 12 apostles. And it says right here, he had James, the brother of John, executed with the sword. What better way to make friends with the Jewish people than to attack those they hate, those who are disrupting the, the, the Jewish culture, these Jewish Christians, whether they be Hellenistic or Hebrew at this time. Especially, by the way, if you could get one of the original 12. Now, the fact that James was killed by the sword indicates that he was likely killed in a judicial way. The Mishnah allows for the beheading by sword of those who are an apostate to the the Jewish faith. We find that in the Mishnah, chapter 7, verse 3, in case you ever feel like looking that up. And if you cannot sleep, I would encourage you to do so. When he saw, by the way, that the death of James pleased the Jews, you see it up there, when he see that that pleased them, he thought to himself, how much better would it be, how much pleasure could I get if I took out, here it is, the unquestioned leader of this church called, what's his name, anyone? Peter. Peter. So... Since it worked well with James, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now, execution is not allowed during the Passover time. It is not allowed. That is why we see the words intending only, yep, right there in the green, attending only after Passover to bring him before the people like he brought James before the people to get the sword, which the Mishnah chapter 7 says is allowed for the Jewish people, for apostates, all right? He, he was waiting till the end of Passover to do to Peter what he already had done to James. It was certain that Peter would receive a sham trial, grab that, because that's going to ring in a little bit here, a sham trial right after the Passover, just like the one that executed the original 12, James. Now, knowing that Peter and the apostles have a history of escaping prisons, he put four squads of soldiers to guard Peter. Because if you go to Acts chapter 5, verse 19, all right, he's already been put in prison and an angel has already delivered them. And while the Sanhedrin was holding counsel, they were out preaching the gospel in the temple courts. It seems like every time Peter goes to jail, he gets delivered by an angel. Now, knowing that history, he puts four squads of soldiers, two that are chained to him, two that guard the door, and they change rotations every six hours so that 24 hours a day, fresh shoulders, fresh soldiers are chained to him and guarding the gate. So here is what we must see now that we went through those deep weeds. Here's what we must see. James is dead. Herod is targeting the church. Peter is arrested. He is chained to two soldiers and two more are guarding him with a rotation of four squads changing every six hours so there can be no escape. Here's what I need you to see. There is absolutely no hope for Peter. And you would say, well, maybe how could they even be hopeless at all? James is dead. A lot has changed in this pocket of time. On top of that, oh, uh, no, don't, don't hit a button yet, okay? Um, how many here have 
days or seasons in the year that are especially painful to you because someone you love and you cherish had passed away or had been hurt. Anyone here have difficult times anywhere time during the year? Of course, many, many, many of us do. And here's a promise. Eventually, all of us will. Now let us remember, this is Passover. Hit the button, all right? This is Passover, which is the anniversary when Jesus had a sham trial. The same time of the year which Jesus was arrested, given a sham trial, and was judicially executed by the very same group of people, all right? And their despair is undoubtedly moved to an even darker level because this is the same time that happened with Jesus. The very same week, their Lord was taken from them. God's people appear to be utterly powerless and in a hopeless situation. Do you see how far down this hole goes? And while we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends, we have the luxury of the New Testament and and 2020 vision and Monday morning quarterbacking. They do not. They do not. They are in a place that seems hopeless and dark. I want you to grab this, church. God does not love us less when he allows tragedy into our lives. Let me say that again. God does not love us less when tragedy enters our lives. And we too, like them, do not get to see the whole picture when we find ourselves in hopeless and tragic situation. But God loves us and he will work out the best even in the most tragic and painful circumstances. And we have to be open to go through that work. Here's what I want to say. If you hear one thing this morning, I would like you to hear many things, but if there's one thing, I want you to hear this. We must always interpret our circumstances by God's love, not interpret God's love by our circumstances. I want you to think what you're going through. Every one of you are going through painful times in your life, to varying degrees. You must always interpret the circumstances you are in right now by his love, not interpret his love by our circumstances. So look at what they do. And frankly, it's all that they can do because evil has all the power right now, at least from outward perspectives. Look at what they do. And they start praying for him. And prayers were being made to God intensively by the church. By the way, this word intensively is the exact same word that Jesus uh, uh, used when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that the cup would pass and he strained and, and sweat and drops of blood came from him. That's the same word. It means to stretch or to strain. So this is the backdrop. This is the historical backdrop Herod's power is absolute. The sword is being sharpened. It's already been wielded against uh, James, all right? Once already with James. Peter is next on the anniversary of the Lord's crucifixion. Here's the question that rises. God, where are you? Where are you? My circumstances are crushing me. And then, much like life, things become 
almost comical. How many here have ever, ever had such a difficult situation and you're so stressed that you almost just start laughing? Anyone at all? You're just like, I, I can't register this. Check out the comedy in this here. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter as he's chained to these soldiers, and light is shown in the cell. This room is filled with the glory of heaven, if you will, small g. But it's not enough. Can you see the angel? Maybe, I don't know, my sanctified imagination, if I could. Can you see the angel maybe getting a little annoyed? I don't know. This is just how my head works. He's, his, his light fills the room, and Peter doesn't even flinch. He can't wake Peter, all right? It's not enough. He can't wake Peter with his illuminated glory. So he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Now this word struck isn't the way, uh, can I hit you? All right, all right. <laughs> this isn't like, like your wife wakes you up. Jeff, my love, my beauty of my heart. You know, that's not what the word strike here. It, if I could picture this, it, it, I know it's, it's going to be spot on, all right? But the angel in his glory is like, oh, you know, light's going through the room. Peter doesn't flinch. You know, the more light, Peter doesn't flinch. You know, no one flinches. So finally, what's the least painful part of your body? The angel just, you know, boom, like that. And Peter wakes up. That's what we got going on here with this word to strike so hard. Keep that in your mind. Peter, loud mouth, talk twice, think once, all right? Wakes up. He is so out of it that the angel had to tell him what he had to do. Put this in your mind, if you will. And the angel, Peter's like, what in the world is going on? He's chained to some soldiers. That noise is happening. And the angel goes, get up, quickly. So Peter gets up with his clothes are apparently undone a little bit. Are you following me here? All right. He gets up, clothes quite not the way they should be. And and to some measure, because the angel has to tell him, can you put on a belt? Please. For crying out loud. So Peter puts on his belt. And then the angel says, Peter, your sandals. All right. You're forgetting your sandals. And then if you would just put the rest of your clothes on, please, can you put your cloak on? How many of you here have ever woken up not knowing your name and you were looking over the edge of the universe? Anyone at all? You wake up, Brad, it's 8 o'clock. We were supposed to be there a half hour ago. And you're like, who are you? I did well. All right, you know. You're just totally out of it. I don't know where that came from. But it's appropriate, all right? Not knowing where you are, what you're doing. And if it weren't for someone who loves you, you would walk right out of the house, complete disarray. Some of you look like that right now, <laughs> including me. How many here have ever, in love, in love, in Christian love, went, who told them that looked good? You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, all right? Does no one love them? Well, say something. I ain't going to say something. I'm going to pray for them and tell you I'm praying for them, all right? So tired and out of it, Peter thought that he was dreaming. Look at the words here. He did not know what was going on or what was, the, what was happening with the angel was even real. One of the reasons is the gate opens up like a, like, like, like a garage door opener. It just opens up on its own. It says right here, it opened by itself. Everything about this moment is not real. 
And as soon as the angel got him safely out, the angel is immediately gone. Look at the, the, the rays go away. That took me eight hours, all right? The angel's gone. And there he is, one street away, in the middle of the night, with the cool evening breeze waking him up in every way. Peter becomes aware of his surroundings and realizes it is not a dream. Look at, for the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now you have all that historical background backfilling that phrase. And then an even more sobering reality hit him. Peter is a what? He's a wanted man. Scheduled to die. He's under Roman guard, scheduled to be headed in a city that hates him, and the sun will be up soon. And he is highly recognizable in Jerusalem. And so he does what any normal man or woman would do, standing in the middle of the street, being delivered by an angel, scheduled to be killed. What is the one thing anyone in the right man would do? We would what? Run! Hide for cover. So that's what he does. And where does he go? He goes to the house of Mary. You know, the Bible says that angels stand in wonder at the salvation of man. Can you imagine, if you could, just an imagination, what this angel was thinking as he delivered Peter? Those? This is salvation for them? He must have been scratching his head. Now, the humor doesn't stop here. Check this out. This is really interesting here. The humor does not stop here. Peter needs to hide, so he knocks on the door of the gate. And a young servant girl by the name of Rhoda. Now, Rhoda from now on will be called Rosebud because that is what Rhoda means in in the original language, Rosebud. She recognized Peter's voice, and rather than opening the door... She, she, read, she ran and announced that Peter was standing in front of the door of the gate, which leaves Peter outside and vulnerable. Now those fervently praying uh, say to little Rosebud, Peter's not there. You are absolutely out of your mind. Have you ever prayed for something not believing God would answer? Let's... You're only allowed an honest answer. You're only allowed an honest answer. Have you ever prayed believing God would not answer? Have you ever had that? Of course we have. It might be that they weren't even praying for Peter's escape. I'm just throwing things out there. The Bible doesn't say what they're praying for. The Bible doesn't say what they're praying for. Maybe they were praying that Peter would be strong in the face of opposition. Maybe they're praying for God's will. Maybe, here's something, have you ever couched your prayers? Have you ever kind of, you know, I want to pray for something in a direction, but I'm going to use a vocabulary that gives God a real big target to hit so that I can go, look at my answered prayer. Anyone ever couch your prayers at all? You ever like, we need to pray for rain. So what we do is we pray for a cloud. Right? If we see a cloud, we can go, okay, the Lord heard me. But when God delivered abundantly more than they could ever ask or think, they would sooner believe that Peter's angel is at the door than Peter himself. 
I mean, talk about unbelief. Brett, your father is at the door. And I go, no, it's the, it's the ghost of my father, not my father. So Rosebud keeps telling them it's him. Meanwhile, Peter is still outside looking around, trying to find cover, knocking on the gate, wondering how long it will be before he is spotted. All right. And, and it says here, in fact, it says Peter continued knocking. And, and can you, can you hear that on the door? Hey, guys, come on. And Rosebud's going, it's him. It's him. And he's like, it's me. She's right. Listen to little Rosebud. How many thought you'd hear that sentence today? All right. Listen to little Rosebud. It's Peter. It's me. Maybe a couple lights are starting to come on in the neighbor's house. Finally, one of them opens the door and, oh my goodness, it's Peter. And they are overwhelmed with joy. Now this word joy here, or the way it is phrased, is not just joy, it is loud joy. There is celebration. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the last thing Peter needs right now? Noise. You ever had those moments when everyone trying to help you is not helping you? That's the last thing Peter needs right now, as he is a wanted fugitive of a people-pleasing political playboy who wants to make the Jews happy, who hate Peter. What is the last thing that Peter needs right now? The answer is noise. So he motioned to them with his hand, shut it down. I don't know what hand gestures for shut your mouth is, you know. I don't know. Am I missing any? Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, one guy. What's your name again? J- Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey. Good friend of mine. All right, Jeffrey. I know Jeffrey. Jeffrey does the... Never heard of that one, but there it is. You get up here and try to think in front of hundreds of people. Maybe dogs are barking. Peter tells them what happens. He realizes it's not a safe place to stop and hide. Maybe dogs are barking and and lights are turning on and guards are, are beginning to wake up. And it says here that he left and he went to another place. And Luke doesn't tell us what the place is. Probably because Peter doesn't need to be caught. By the way, we are never told when he went. Some say Rome, not likely. Some say Antioch, probably a little better, but we don't know. But this is the last time we will ever see Peter in Acts, except for a mention of him briefly in 15. Peter is now off the scene, and it's going to be all Paul from here. Likely, he became transient in his ministry, traveling all around. Here's what I want you to grab. Grab this. They went from the depth of despair to celebrating as Peter runs free into the night. May I make an observation? God often waits until the last hour to deliver us so that we are motivated to trust in him. To recognize that we are totally dependent on him. God often waits until the last hour to deliver us 
so that we will be motivated to trust in him. And you'll notice the parenthetical note, I-D-R. That is not mine. I read that this week. Does anyone know what I-D-R stands for? I don't remember. That's where I read it. I don't remember. But it's not mine. So now when you ever see the words I-D-R, now you know your pastor is getting old. All right? Well, Herod Agrippa finds out. Have you ever said the words, I need to get away? Now Rome's not happy. And guess who else isn't happy, friends? The Jews. How many here can't win for losing? Anyone at all? You ever go, oh, they don't like me. (laughs) They don't like me either. That's what's going on here. This will not please the Sanhedrin. And this will not please the Jews. And in turn, this will not please Rome. And it draws attention to him and his creditors, whom he owes a lot of money to. He needs to go away for a while, maybe a vacation. Knowing he needed some space, here it is. We see it right down here. He went down from Judea to Caesarea. He needs to get away. And with that, we move into this. Now, this is interesting. Now, all of this you may say, okay, there's some application here, but so far this is a history lesson on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and yeah, it's got some interesting things, but stay with me. Oh, this is verse 25. There's a lot that will pop here, and then we'll be done. Tyre and Sidon. These were free self-governing cities on the coast, on the shoreline. These two cities need food and commerce to continue to go through their seaports, hence the picture you see there. Need that to go through their ports, and they have for many years. You'll see this all the way back in 1 Kings, Ezekiel, and others as well. They have been using these ports to feed country to country for many, many years. Now, Herod, as a quasi-king, controls which port all these commerce and things go through. He is in charge of that. If he chooses to use different city ports, it would hurt these cities not only financially, but it would hurt them provisionally. And Herod is angry at them. And he has absolute power over their ports. Herod is angry with these leaders of these two cities, and he has the power to cripple their economy. So what do the leaders do in these two cities? They win over Blastus. By the way, how great of a name is that? Blastus. Some of you, maybe with children soon, think about it, all right? Blastus. It rhymes with a lot. Let's move forward. The king's chamberlain. Blasted is a trusted personal servant of King Herod. A trusted personal servant. If someone is mad at you, there is a biblical precept here, if you will, or maybe we just call it common sense. Go to that person's friend and say, will you speak on my behalf? We have a phrase for that. Will you adva what? Kate for me. Well, Blastus does. Josephus tells us so. So he got a close friend of Herod to advocate on their behalf. Well, to cut to the chase here, a truce is reached. They get to keep using their ports. Money keeps flowing, all right? 
Tyre and Sidon will keep their ports of trade, food, and commerce. Herod agreed to their terms with the gears oiled with blastus. But he decided that he would subject the ambassadors of these two cities to an event that would demonstrate his authority and superiority over them. All right, you can keep it, but I'm going to make sure everyone knows how amazing I am for doing that. That's where we see this phrase. So on that appointed day, after putting on his royal apparel, Herod, which is Agrippa I, took his seat on the rustrum. My brain just says restroom. Does anyone else brain go there? And he began delivering an address to them. And they're meeting in this huge amphitheater. Which amphitheater? The one his father built? No, because Herod's father was killed by his grandfather. <laughs> How would you like that family get together? All right. Killed Herod's the grip of the first father. This was Herod the Great built, that, was, that was in control when Jesus was born, built an incredible amphitheater. It was a huge amphitheater built by his grandfather. The first century historian Josephus wrote about this. You can actually read this from Josephus, who was uh, around during that time. He wrote this. Herod put on a garment made out of solid silver. Do you see the hubris of this man? He puts on a garment made out of solid silver, and when he entered the amphitheater early in the morning, the silver garment was illuminated by the early morning sun, and the reflection of the sun's rays shone on it in a glorious manner, and it is sparkling, and it is, it is glowing, and, and there's the small K king with a Napoleon complex. And the people and the leaders of Tyre and Sidon, thankful to have their livelihood secured, their ports being secured, added with the display of the spectacle with the robe, and the people shout out in order to just bloviate towards him a voice of a God and not a man. Now Herod is a quintessential politician, and he is a full practicing Jew. We'll study that a little bit more tonight when we dig deeper into this passage. Herod is a practicing Jew. He knows full well, both from the Torah, the Mishnah. He knew full well that no faithful practicing Jew could ever accept divine honor this way. Hence the words of the apostles, get off your knees, I am a mere man. But he did it anyway. Now add it to the big picture. No, no practicing Jew would ever accept divine honor this way. Now add it to the macro picture of the context that we began with, which means we're almost done. God is showing the church that he is in control and nothing, nothing can stop the gospel. Now, and immediately the angel struck him as hard as he struck Peter. Because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. And we're done. What's so funny? Okay, thank you. Now this is likely a tapeworm. 
I don't know. How many, after several hours of study, I came up with the answer, I don't know. But some conjecture is that it's a tapeworm, that when it ruptures, it releases millions of baby worms. We'll study that a little bit more tonight. What's so funny about that? How many here don't want to study tapeworms on a Sunday evening on a beautiful Sunday day? I expect you here. I mean, there's no greater hook than that. Tapeworms on an evening when we haven't seen the sun in a week? All right. When they rupture, millions come out. Painful way to die. Josephus doesn't finish writing about this. Josephus, who wrote about this, tells us that Herod lived five more days and then died a painful death. Which brings us to the final question. You ready? What in the world is this all about? Why is this here? How does this help me now? Where do I go with this during the week? If all scripture is beneficial, how in the world does this fit in? Why tell us this story? Here's what I want you to see, and I'm going to finish with a story when I was a little kid that my guess is most of you did as well. When I was a little kid, my dad would wash the car with a garden hose. Because you didn't have all these fancy whip-it-through monthly memberships where you go through and you wash your car twice a day. Cars were made out of metal, And they got cleaned when you got the hose out, sprayed it down, washed it, and dried it. That's how the cars got clean. And when I was a kid, my dad would wash the car. And because we had so much money, we just left it running. How many here remember that? No, we did not have a lot of money, all right? I I remember one time, ah, no, I'm going to stay on the story here. But we didn't have a nozzle on the garden hose. So when you got done spraying the car down, he would just drop it, and it would run, sometimes for 30, 40 minutes at a time, we had well water, okay? And so that water would go down the driveway in Hudsonville, Michigan, and it would go out of the driveway, and it would slowly start to work its way down the street, a couple houses down, maybe 100 or 200 yards away, till it finally hit a storm drain and would go down there. And I would do, and maybe you would do this, I would, I would go down as the water slowly creeped down the, the, the side of the street, I would put a little stick in front of that water, and that water would hit that stick, and it would stop momentarily, and water would back up behind it until finally there was enough pressure. And then what would the water do to the stick? Talk to me, anyone? It'd push it or go around it or go over it. And so you'd run and get a couple more sticks, and then that would be kind of fun. And then you'd go and get some sand and, and maybe make some mud or some clay, and you'd put it there. And, and yo, here's some rocks over here. And by, by a time, and it would, water would build up, and I could stop that water. And slowly, after, after a while, I, I created what was in Hudsonville, their version of a Hoover Dam on the side of 40th Avenue. And I would try to stop that water with sticks and mud and sometimes my feet like this. You do this right here. And I'm like, man, if I only had flat feet, I could stop that water. And I would try to dam it up. And you know what? I could. I could. For a little while. 
But eventually, no matter how much I tried, no matter how smart I was, what won? Talk to me, church. The water. My success was short-lived and temporary. Frankly, it only proved in slow motion just how futile my efforts are to stop it. I would lose. Now, to be clear, the water would temporarily lose, but ultimately it won. And there was nothing I could do about it. This, grab this. This is what this passage, as odd as it seems, communicates to us today. Luke is showing the church one last time before the narrative leaves the Jerusalem church and never comes back again. Luke is showing the church then, and he is showing the church now that the gospel is unstoppable. If you oppose the gospel, it will give the appearance of a temporary win, but you will ultimately lose. If you stand for the gospel, you may temporarily lose, but you will ultimately win. I mean, just look at the passage. It starts out with Peter in prison. The apostle James is dead. The tyrant named Herod is basking in the popularity and power. And by the end of it, Peter is free. James is with the Lord. Herod is eaten by worms. And look at this here. The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied because it cannot be stopped. That's the side we're on. That's what you walk out with this morning. Doesn't matter what Washington has. Doesn't matter what the court looks like. It doesn't matter what the, re- the representative thinks. We have Christ. And he cannot, he cannot be stopped. And just before the book of Acts moves on from the church in Jerusalem to concentrate on the gospel reaching the Gentiles, Luke records this account and he says, God is in control. Leaving the church of Jerusalem, God's in control. The gospel will always win. The gates of hell will not prevail. Oh, may our hearts be encouraged. Let us stay the course. The church is full of broken and flawed people. But here it is. Our God is not. The victory is His. Let us trust in that. The message cannot be stopped. That's why we're told about a tapeworm in an amphitheater thousands of years ago. All scripture is beneficial. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that we rest in you, not ourselves. We are thankful that your kingdom cannot be stopped. And we are reminded as we come before your table because of your blood and your body 
proclaim this victory until you come back.